Welcome back, everybody, to the Backside Ground Balls pod. Happy New Year to all of our listeners out there. I know that it is 10 days into the new year, and this is our first episode, so we're already kicking off the new year the right way and missing week one. But uh, that's, that's what good podcasts do. You know, they find really valid excuses for uh, for missing podcasts. And, you know, in honor of Jumpsuit January, I got my white dad, gray on gray. The only thing I'm missing is some new balances and I'd be full fledged uh, just white dad killing it out here. But, um, you know, we're really excited about the topics that we're going to discuss today. Um, typical offseason stuff, just more Carlos Correa. I know that's what Dan's exactly looking forward to talking Dude. about today. I'm over it. I'm over it. Yeah. We'll, at this rate, we'll probably have three more opportunities to cover a Carlos Correa signing in before March of this year. So we're going to hold off on that topic of discussion. But obviously, first, we, we got to take a moment and, uh, you know, so a little bit of backstory from my perspective on this. So I texted Dan at about 8.56 yesterday. I got a text back this morning at 5.15 that said, sorry, I fell asleep. That's how loyal. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was, right. He was asleep in the second quarter. I was yeah, like, dude, right. what are we doing? <laughs> no shot. <laughs> I All was right, up well, to about 1.30, actually. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I did not watch much of the game. I tuned in. I was making TikTok videos. I'm not going to lie to you. Just the Grinded. typical 25-year-old male um, out there making TikTok videos. But I'm super excited for the discussion we're going to have today. But I'll give you your moment. Take it. Cold, calculated execution is what everyone got to witness on national TV last night. I know I saw today that it was the lowest rated championship game in 25 years. I wonder why. There was only a small portion of us who probably enjoyed that game. Uh, Back-to-back national champions. uh, I don't even know what to say because you win the one last year and it was just – it was different, and that's the, that's what makes every season beautiful. And when you're a part of a team, you can really appreciate it because every team truly is different. Um, and last year was so much about becoming, you know, getting past the the drought that they had sustained for so long, and beating Alabama and getting rid of the demons. And <clears throat> on paper, they were the most talented team in the country last year. You could argue they were again this year, but. It was just like they hadn't won a national championship yet. And everyone was saying, when's Kirby Smart going to win a national championship? They lose in the SEC championship game after going 12-0 and in the regular season and just bludgeoning everyone. And then they, you know, they, they beat up Michigan in the Orange Bowl and then they exact revenge on Alabama. And so it was just kind of like this euphoric celebration because it felt like it was never going to happen. And then you go into this year, and it's it's kind of like, well, they lost 15 draft picks, five first-rounders on the defensive side of the ball. This is an extremely young defense. Offensively, you knew they were returning Brock Bowers. You knew A.D. Mitchell was coming back. Obviously, Stets back. And so you're like, they're going to be really good on offense. But no one has ever won back-to-back national championships in the college football playoff era. Like, it's it's not easy to do. You know, so I think for me, it was like the expectation was just get back to the playoff and then whatever happens, happens. I'm, I'm happy for it. And then you really saw some flaws on this team as the season went on. Um, I think there were some things that were blown out of proportion by people because it was like everyone saw Georgia last year beat everyone by 24 points, 30 points. And so they expected that. And it was like, well, this team's young and they're growing. Like, I knew this was going to be the case. If they win these games, that shows – you know, that shows something, you know, they went on the road, Missouri, and it was a bad, it was a bad game. They won though. Um, Kentucky was ugly, but they won. And when you're watching that happen, you're like, okay, like now it was becoming kind of more evident that they could actually do this. Uh, And then once they survived New Year's Eve against Ohio State, TCU, what a good story. But, uh, Actually, my, my wife's uncle texted me last night before kick and said, 
you know, deep down, I know you're actually rooting for TCU. And I just texted him back and said, I don't believe in fairy tales or Cinderella. Um, and then once Kirby, like, you know, and I still thought at that point it could possibly be a game. I don't know why, because I said to you on the phone earlier in the evening, if you look at the, the, the like, cumulative talent of both rosters, Georgia is by far the better team. Like, and I know people don't believe this because Michigan's a blue bud, but, like, Michigan and TCU's rosters weren't that far off. Like, mm-hmm. Georgia's roster compared to TCU and Michigan is just way better. The only team that was comparable in the playoff is Ohio State, and you saw a good game. You know, Georgia played an average game, and Ohio State played their best game of the season, and Georgia wins by one. So then you get there, and, and Holly Rowe Holly Rowe made me know that the game was over. Uh, they do the stupid interviews right before kickoff with the head coaches, and uh, she asked – Kirby Smart, whatever, question, and Kirby Smart said, aggression. And she said, that's it, aggression? Kirby Smart said, oh, yeah, we're going to hunt tonight. And at that point, I was like, oh, (laughs) TCU just walked into their their public execution without knowing it. And a ton of fans from Fort Worth, bless their souls, went and got rained on inside of SoFi, which you didn't watch much of the game. SoFi Stadium has a roof, but I guess the rest of it's open along the ways. So it was like a hurricane. In California last night, essentially. So there's a roof, but it's blowing sideways. So the TCU fans were just getting smoked by rain. It was the weirdest thing to see because it looked like it was raining in a dome on the camera. But it's because, like, there's no sides. Mm -hmm. It's all open except for... Yeah, it's open It's like a canopy. It's like they play in a pavilion. (laughs) Basically, SoFi Stadium is a pavilion. It's the weirdest. It costs 4.9. I saw someone say that last night. He's like, this stadium costs $4.9 billion and the roof leaks. And I thought that was hysterical. Uh, All I know is that's that's the most important thing we learned yesterday. (laughs) Well, sorry. Sorry. I apologize. Anyway, it was just – and it was – for again, for – Anyone outside of the Georgia fan base, that game was awful to watch. My brother texted me at halftime was like, this isn't fun. And I was like, I can understand why not. Like, if you're a neutral fan, you had to be miserable. And to see what Georgia has built now, um, I'm going to try and be classy about this because I don't want to come off as – it's hard when you've won back-to-back national championships. It's just awesome. And, like, I can't – to be able to root for a team where Kirby Smart's your head coach – is awesome. Like you hear the way he talks about their program and what he does on a daily basis for someone who was a former coach. It's just like I just it's I proud, I guess, excited, happy, thrilled that like this is my this is the head coach of, of the team that I root for. This is my team that that, you know, I love more than probably any other team is Georgia football. Um Sorry to my family who's really upset to know that they still get mad because I don't have any direct ties and I can't explain it. Like, hand up. I'm sorry. Like, I can't explain it. I've loved college football forever. I'm a huge Georgia fan and I don't know why, but I I love that program. And Kirby Smart's just awesome. You hear him talk about the way the guys compete in practice and um, just thinking of all the things I see on on Twitter of like college baseball coaches um, talking about how turn everything into a competition and then Jalen Carter went up to Kirby Smart at practice before the, the Peach Bowl and asked him if um, they could compete in team. You know, they always compete in team running. He said, "We if the winners win, defense versus offense, if the you know winners don't have to run the the end of the runs." And Kirby Smart said, "I hate that because that's manufacturing competition. It's not real. Then you have to keep up that facade for the rest of the year. If you guys are really competitive, they'll always compete." But he let them do it, and guys were tackling each other. And someone actually hurt their back from tackling each other. And he threatened to cancel the rest of practice because that's how competitive these dudes are. And it was just like, that's the culture. Like, that's the culture everyone blabbers about and acts like they have with all the eyewash. And, like, that's real. And I'm sure there's other football programs in the country. Like, I don't know because I don't follow every football program as closely. But, like, that's when you know it's the real deal. Like, that's real deal team and culture is when guys are injuring themselves to win in team run or injuring each other in team run, which I know sounds crazy, but football is like, and you just hear him say things like football is not a contact sport. It's a collision sport and say things like aggression and we're going to hunt tonight. And it's just like, man, that's awesome. Um, It's exciting. And they're just so good. And what, and this is where I didn't want to be unclassy and sound like a, you know, but they return a lot of talent next year. (laughs) Like you, 
what was scary about that game, and, and maybe TCU gave up. I'd like to think not because if you're in the national championship, you should never give up the scoreboard. But Georgia puts their backups in, and Branson Robinson's a true freshman running all over him. Jalen Walker, true freshman with a, a sack. Michael Williams, true freshman with a sack. Bear Alexander with a sack and a half and a tackle for loss as a true freshman. Malachi Starks started 15 games on the back end as a true freshman. Javon Bullard's the MVP of both playoff games on the defensive side of the ball. He's a sophomore. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And spoiled. And my brother said, I hope everybody hates Georgia as much as they hated Alabama. And I love the villain role. Um, that's something that, like, I love the villain role. And it's been like a drug today, social media for me. Um, because, like, if this is what Alabama fans have gotten to see, just people cry about their program for all these years, now I know why they enjoy it so much. Because <laughs> yeah. I love seeing people cry and make up excuses and complain when, like, because, like, your complaints and crying that now all of a sudden it's a problem. Stetson Bennett's 25. Marvin Harrison got hurt. Like, it's just like, yep. And Georgia's got a national championship parade on Saturday while you guys <laughs> make excuses. Um, that's all I got. 11 minutes worth for you. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. From from the backside ground balls to you, Georgia football. Let's go for three. Let's go for three. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of people that believe that, but you know, obviously, you mentioned Kirby Smart. Um, you know, and what a obviously what a great football coach, but what a great leader and. You know, one of the things that that he talked about after the year last year, and you talk about using your platform, right? And he made a very passionate speech about coaching, right? And the world of coaching and the how hard it was to be a college football coach, right? And obviously, as two guys who come from the baseball world, where to get skin in the game, we don't really uh, look at college football coaches and see uh, not them not living lavish lives is kind of the way I'd say it. And one of the thing this is pretty much what we wanted to talk about is you know not really the treatment necessarily of college coaches in general, but just the the environment and what kind of just a n- little negative tone, I guess is probably the best way to put it. But you had some thoughts that you kind of presented to me yesterday about college coaching. Obviously, we still got a lot of friends in the game. And I mean, here's your opportunity again, part two, take it away and and kind of just kick off what we had phone conversation and, and we'll kind of go from there in this conversation on the pod. Yeah. And, and if, if people hate me after this, those who listen to us, I'm sorry. I mean, I've just went on 11 minutes about Georgia and now you're going to hear probably the, you know, a good bit of my voice again. And I apologize. And I try and be, look, we do this podcast for fun. Um, and I love doing it. And I'm always usually typically in a good mood when we do this podcast and, um, we do it again for fun because we love it and we like hanging out and talking and, we decided to start recording our baseball conversations. Um, and we have a very, very, very small platform, but regardless, it's a platform and, and gosh, man, I've just been so tired. Like I, to be completely personal and honest, I guess is like, I, obviously I, I stopped coaching in May um, for a multitude of reasons, but I thought I was going to coach college baseball for forever. And I've mentioned that on the show forever. And I, you know, I remember I first started getting interested in wanting to coach college baseball because when I had transferred schools, when I was a player, um, you know, I just remember being an older guy for the first time in college and being around the freshmen and how much I enjoyed being around um, my freshman teammates, to be honest. Um, You know, suffice to say, I wasn't a big like hazer and shut up stupid freshman. Like I enjoyed being around the freshmen because they were so naive and young and it was fun to kind of help guide them in all aspects of everything, like how to get people out. Not that I was very good at that. And, you know, how to act, how to show up to practice class, you know, how to, you know, handle social life and in, in classes, but like just all of it. I enjoyed being that. And that's why I got into coaching. And, um, you know, ever since I stopped coaching, I've been kind of struggling with what I wanted to do next. And obviously I have a job, which is great and supports me, but it's not something that I want to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, we enjoy doing this for fun and that's great, but you know, I, I don't know what my path is, but, um, 
I think about coaching often and a lot of times, you know, I'll scroll the Twitter feed and you'll, I'll see job postings for college baseball coaching. And I don't ever think about applying for them. And one of the main reasons I don't think about applying for them is I see every week, multiple job postings of X university, X college, X place in somewhere in America is seeking an assistant coach. The details below are $2,000 stipend housing camp money. I think of like, it drives me up a wall that every single week I have to go on Twitter and I see people posting jobs that are worthless essentially. And you know, what bothers me about it is I get that it's an opportunity and everyone has to start somewhere. And that's what every head coach in the world tells people. And that's you, every time you listen to a college baseball talk, you took, you know, Outside of maybe Eric Backich, whose first job was a Clemson coaching staff with, you know, Kevin, Kevin Sullivan, Corbs and, and Jack Leggett. Like he's probably the only 24 year old who's ever <laughs> started out as royalty. Like that's insane. But like every head coach will tell you, like, we, I started doing this and I started doing that. And I like the answer is like, I'm sorry you had to go through that. But don't you think that's wrong? Isn't it time to change this? And, you know, I saw Stephen Shock. Um, sorry if I mispronounced your last name, who was obviously the, the awesome Virginia closer who transferred from uh, a small D1 school. And, and he tweeted last, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that I once knew a Division One volunteer assistant who for a whole month ate leftover neutral green bars in the locker room. For a whole month, a college baseball coach, in order to coach college baseball, ate neutral green bars. And you wonder why so many good coaches are leaving college baseball. And I'm not even talking about you and I, Trevor. Like, I'm not. I'm not talking about you and I because we weren't that good yet. We didn't get the opportunity to get that good. And one of the big reasons why I left coaching was because I was torn in three directions. I was working for my family business. I was coaching at Goldie. And I had a, I had a fiance sitting at home every night. You know who was getting cheated? All three aspects. All three aspects of my life. I used to go to work with my head in baseball, thinking about the team and trying to figure out practice planning, jipping my boss, who is my father. I would then go to practice, show up right at the nick of time, jump into a practice plan, rush home, and then try and get some stuff done for the game. And so not only am I jipping my boss, who is my father, I'm jipping my guys because I don't get to spend as much time with them or thinking about them. And then I would go home and jip my fiance. That's like the three most important things in my life. I just talked about a parent, my my career that I was passionate about, and my significant other. We don't see a problem with this. And I, like, I kid you not, if Goldie Beacom had found a way to fork over $30,000 in the worst healthcare you can imagine, I'd still be coaching there today, full time. And, and, and my wife would have been on board. She would have said, we'll make it work because she's spectacular. And there's a lot of significant others behind coaches who do that. But like to think that this is normal to me, I'm just so sick and tired of it. It's someone who, and I don't want to sound like I'm crying because I'm out of the game and it could have been better for me. Like I could have taken opportunities to be a volunteer assistant, but I wasn't going to do it. Like I couldn't get around to doing it. Me and me and my fiance wanted to start a life. And what people will tell you when you talk to them about it, a lot of people in the business, when you go out recruiting other coaches, it's like, yeah, man, it's usually one or the other. It's like, wait, I can't have quality of life and do this. Like only if someone is dumb enough to give me the opportunity to be a head coach at a small school. And then you get into division one ranks where we can't have a third violent. We can't have more than, than two paid assistants. Do you know what it takes? And, and the thing that drives me nuts is, again, the reason I got into coaching was about my teammates that were younger than me when I was. That's why I wanted to get into it. I went into yeah. college. I, I come from a social work family. My mother was a social worker. I want to help kids. But, and the, before the you get into of- that side, before I kind of want to digest because that's a what I think you're going to is a whole nother conversation yeah. that that I do want to get into today. But like, just kind of take the coaching side of of things. And before we get into the athlete and how we're, you know, putting our, our athletes at a disadvantage, you know, quite frankly, I mean, the people that listen to this kind of know a little background on obviously the both of us, but we both left for different reasons, right? 
I probably had the like envy of so many in college <laughs> baseball, Dan right. included, right? right? I I used to joke and say I was the only full-time 24-year-old in the country and there was probably some truth to that. And I lucked into a situation where I had a university that was passionate about increasing enrollment and part of that gig was to get an assistant coach full time that I just happened to be lucky. But when I look at college baseball and specifically the just the health of the coaching industry on the whole, you said like there's a lot of good coaches leaving and, and I completely agree, not necessarily speaking about you and I, right? But people like you shouldn't be forced out of the game, right? People like you shouldn't have to grind three years at X school making $2,000 stipend and working full time and, you know, all those things on top of trying to run a pitching staff. Now, if you're, you know, when I was at Goldie working full time, volunteering at Goldie, I was the second in command. I showed up when I could. I put balls into the pitching machine, you know, whatever I needed to do to help out. But it's completely different when you start to talk about the guy who is expected to be there and expected to be present and expected to be a valuable asset to a coaching staff. And again, I think where the issue comes in for me is, is this NCAA that needs to be fixed to fix this issue? Is this just the industry that needs to fix this issue. I don't really know because obviously the the limitation on paid assistance at the division one level is kind of the root of this problem. I mean, that's the reality of it. And then you see right. college football who has 40 analysts, but then you talk about who brings in more money and that is a very valid argument, but just all things considered, you know, just, like you mentioned, quality of life. You know, we we are in an era where mental health is talked about more than it's ever been. Mental health with athletes specifically, but also mental health with adults, with men specifically, right? We're starting to kind of get into the point where where people are open about their mental health struggles. People who know me, I'd sit down and have a conversation with anybody about some mental health struggles I have. I know you would too, because you're an honest person. The, when you talk about quality of life, when I'm 25 years old and I'm trying to get into a career and like you said, helping other people, no, I don't want to live in a dorm room of a division three school. No, I don't want to eat dining hall food. I have a significant or other that I've been grain to, bars. Yeah, or nutrient bars. Or nutrient bars. Left over in the locker room. Yeah. No, definitely don't want to do that. I want to be healthy. I probably have a significant other that I've been with for multiple years like both you and I have and a lot of people we know do have what I'm going to invite them over to my dorm room what what is this $2000 plus camp money like there where is the quality of life in this right and I'm not saying like we coach a sport like like so yes there is joy in that like you are on a baseball field but that's not enough that is fleeting after i can tell you for certain right now like after one week in the fall like you're grinding like somebody who's working a real nine to five job like you feel like you're working like you, you all the time i'm 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 so sick and tired of the of the you coach a sport argument because if you coach a sport and you give two craps about your student athletes you're not just coaching a sport right and and my point is is like if you ask anyone who's played at the college level which means they're serious about their sport right from 95 percent of every college athlete is serious about their sport right and a lot of their identity is wrapped into their sport it's not just a sport it's not like you grow through that sport you learn through that sport you learn how to be a part of a team you learn how to communicate you learn how to face adversity. You learn how to be injured a lot of the times. You learn how to have things not go your way. If you play that sport long enough, like you and I, you learn how to get your butt kicked. Like how many times you've been on the other end of a bad loss? How many times have you embarrassed yourself when it, and you learn how to handle that and keep moving forward? So it's not just a sport. So yeah, I, I do coach a sport, but to leave it at that blank of like at that bottom feeder of a level is a joke. To me, like that's wrong. And when you just touched on something that I'm passionate about, because again, I come from a, a social working family and 
I've believed these things for a long time without speaking out about them. And I'm like tired of it. Like I come from a family who my mom, my mother is a social worker. So I was raised in that environment where people matter and how you treat other people matter. And mental health, especially with young adults, college age specifically, is in the tubes right now in our country. It's awful. It is awful. And one of the things that I wanted to become a college coach to do was to help be a solution to that problem. And instead, I got forced out because there wasn't a job. And I don't want to make this about me. There's people getting forced out and there's not enough resources being given to coaches who can help who want to be a part of the solution and help people through the vessel of athletics. North Carolina State University, and I'll put them on blast because I don't really have any connections there, and this number isn't – this is something that I heard, so the numbers could be completely off. Last year, North Carolina State had one suicide for the entire academic year. In the first semester this year, there were seven suicides on the campus of North Carolina State University. That's a pretty big and reputable university. Seven suicides. If that doesn't scream we have a problem here, why aren't we doing anything about it? Then I don't know what does. But the system that you said, you don't know if it's an NCAA thing or an individual school, it's a combination of both. And I used to be on the other side of the argument you made about football. I used to sit there and be like, you want more paid assistance? Start bringing in the money that that." college football teams do, right? The numbers that these these programs do that pay these analysts. But then I started to think about it. We're not asking for 40 analysts or 10 on-field coaches to be full-time. Mm-hmm. We're asking for a couple more. At the Division II level, we're asking for one at a lot of these programs. Division three, we're asking for one, one. At the Division one level, Power 5, we're asking for more than two, maybe three, maybe four. Not 10, not 10, 40%. And then, you know, what's what's the obvious answer? Because so many of these universities have become about making money, right? A lot of universities come are now talk, they want to make money. That's what they've started to do. That you look at the tuition rates, you look at everything. They make money. And you can't tell me they don't. And what are they going to tell you? Well, if we pay the baseball coaches, then we have to pay the soccer coaches. Well, then we have to pay the softball coaches. Baseball has 40 plus guys on their roster. Your basketball programs, again, they might bring in money. But guess what? Your basketball program, they have 12 to 15 guys on their roster. 12 to 15 stinking guys on their roster. You're talking about at a, at a lot of Division two and Division three schools, you have zero, zero, zero paid assistance for baseball. 40-plus guys. You have coaches out there who pretty much do it on their own. 40 yeah. plus guys. And how, how are, are they supposed, supposed to, to live? How are you supposed to live, run the program properly? I don't care. I'm not even talking about winning games. I'm talking about giving the student mm-hmm. athlete the experience and the skills they need to then move forward once they leave your program. I don't I, like wins and losses. And, and I'm someone who will scream this forever. I texted you this last night. I care more about that. I cared more about the outcome of last night's game than any game I coached in at Goldie. Not because I didn't care. But because that wasn't it, I wasn't a fan. Mm-hmm. I, I, wins and losses was not the mm-hmm. end game for me. It was a byproduct of everything else I had done. I wanted to see my guys succeed because I love them. But it was to me, it was about can we teach these guys and go about it the right way. I wasn't going to be down the throat about wins and losses. I never did. No. I told I told my mm-hmm. pitchers from the start like I, you could have an 100 ERA. I will not love you any differently. Yeah, don't care. If you're going, if you're working as hard as you can for me, if you're learning how to handle the adversity, if you're being a good teammate and you know how to communicate with me, with your teammates, if you're going to class and you're getting good grades, you could have a, an infinity ERA. And guess what? It doesn't matter to me. Why should it? Oh, you can't break off your slider? Keep working on it. You're going about it the right way. We'll get there. I promise you, we'll get there. Yeah, and, like, and, and even if you don't, it's not Who cares? that big of a deal. Who cares? Who cares? Because if you're a good human being, you're a good good representation of the baseball program on campus. And this is this is a a coaching problem too, from my perspective. Too many people care about what guys are going to do on the field, right? When you're you're talking about forty guys, remember nine play, right? And too many times, I, I've been around too many coaches that have been critical of kids that are just happy to be there. Oh, they don't work hard enough. Well. They're playing D2, D3 baseball. Maybe they are just happy to be there. But that, but 
that, again, like that is besides the point, but like that, that is what was valuable to me. That's obviously what was valuable to you was like, Hey, like I got 17 guys and I don't care any different about one through 17, even if one's going to go hit 450 and 17 might never touch a, touch a bat in game and getting an all, getting the on deck circle, but they're all as valuable to me because like you said, you talked about the mental health and the college age development. I, I always say, I've been saying this for years because it happened to me. Fall semester of your freshman year is the is worst. The, it's the biggest and most impactful six months of your life. No doubt about it. Your life. You go to a dorm, you're in a cubicle, basically sleeping on a below average bed with access to any alcohol, drugs, women, whatever you want. Your freedom is finally there. Nobody tells you when to eat. Nobody tells you when to do your homework. Nobody tells you when to do it. The amount of kids that I've seen that are squared away in high school and fall apart in college and the amount of kids that I've seen that are don't seem squared away in high school and just grow in college when you get to that point, is it's amazing. It is mind-boggling. And that, like you said, that was one of the things that I was so passionate about, right? You always hear about like the freshmen in the fall when it when it comes to baseball. Oh, they're so annoying. That blah blah blah. Like I always used to say, like, dude, like these guys are like like some kids just don't even they're baby realize. Deer. Like, yeah, exactly. Like they're just completely new and green to this whole situation, and they have no idea what's going on in life. And you just understand how impactful that is on your mental health, the amount of sleepless nights, the amount of anxiety, the amount of moments I had my freshman year, I went to the university of Delaware before I transferred to Marywood, which was the best decision of my life. I went to the university of Delaware and felt alone, right? I wasn't playing baseball. I wasn't doing anything. And guess how far I was away from home? 15 15 minutes, minutes. (laughs) 15 minutes from home. But every night I was there, I felt alone. Right. And if I had the opportunity to have somebody that I could trust in a baseball coach, to have somebody I could go to, to have somebody that was there for me, that would pick up the phone when I called, that would have an open door policy when I needed it. And it wasn't even about baseball, right? And to have that avenue to actually lean on somebody would have been massively impactful to my experiences. I wanted, I would have dropped out of school if it wasn't for baseball. I wanted to join the military. I was searching for anything to give me meaning in life. And it wasn't because of on-field baseball, right? I was looking for guidance. I was looking for structure. I was looking for something to set goals towards, to, to actually give me meaning in the classroom, to actually give me meaning with like friends and community and all those things. And like you're saying, like, this is something that like, we're not even factoring in wins and losses, right? This is just going to college, right? This is just growing as human beings. And I always say the most important moments of my coaching, short-lived coaching careers were not the the multiple NCAA regionals I was lucky enough to coach in, not the conference championship. We want to, con- like, I, I remember uh, Skip at Goldie and tour at Arcadia, like we, we would win big games and they would look at me and do your handshake. You know, we win a conference championship. Obviously there's a little bit more affection, little hugs, like congratulations. And like, you would have thought we just freaking sat in traffic for 40 minutes or like somebody took my dog away because it was just the same. Like, I was just like, dude, this doesn't matter to me. Right. Like, and, and honestly, like it really didn't like, I, I, I don't have any validation from that side of things. What mattered to me was being able to like have guys that would walk into my office, guys that I didn't even know I had a relationship with, guys that I didn't even know like we connected on, walk into my office and go, hey, can we talk for a second and shut the door? And I'd go, yeah, we can talk for a second. And to know that I had built that relationship to gain that trust, that was what would have fueled me and made me want to coach college baseball for 20, 25 years. It had nothing to do with with getting to Cedar Rapids or winning a regional or winning a conference championship. It was always about that relationship and that connection and that opportunity to help kids get through the most impactful four years of their life that is going to set them up for the future and for the next 60 to 80 years. And think about the opportunity you were afforded, right? You were afforded that. Imagine 
Yeah. And then like that, and here is the root of the issue. You were given an unbelievable opportunity to do that because your university gave you guys the resources to have a coach that was in the office, an assistant coach that was in the office every day. And let me tell you yep. something. Head coaches absolutely can be that vessel, and, and, and a lot of the great ones are. But it's different for players. It's different for players. When you're the head coach, it's, it's a little bit different once in a while. Sometimes for some guys, the assistant coach is an easier avenue to go down. And I'm not saying you were friends with your guys. It was just you might have been a little bit more approachable because at the end of the day, you, you, you know, there wasn't as much judgment because you're not the boss, man. You're not the number one, right? You weren't the top guy at that program. So to have you there just from that aspect, not to mention just from the, the standpoint of logistics, which I also work in. Logistically speaking, I remember I used to sit there with my head coach and just like the logistics of running a baseball program, running any collegiate athletic program. It is hard, especially when you get into that seat as the top guy, to be able to take the time to have those conversations or be thoughtful in those conversations because you got 39 others you're worried about. You got admin responsibilities that you probably have to do. You're in charge of recruiting, you're in charge of is a lot of schools. Is the bus going to be on time for our next road game? Mm-hmm. What's the weather doing? What's the food. field situation? What's the food situation? What's the, and if you don't have the help to delegate, who loses? Who is losing out on this? This isn't just about coaches. Again, this is not about coaches wanting to coach a game for the profession. Who loses out? The student athletes. The student athletes are going to get the short straw every time. Is a coach going to – because at the end of the day, it's got to be about the good of the group. That's the other – like, especially when you're the head coach, it most of the time has to be about the good of the group, right? Yeah, so, it, it does. So you if, – if it's about making sure that the 40 guys are going to be on time and where they need or the one conversation with the one guy, you're going to say, hey, maybe, maybe tomorrow. Come see me tomorrow. What if tomorrow's too late? Yep. Tim Corbin told an unbelievable story, I don't know how many years ago at the convention after they won the national championship with David Price. When he was coaching at Presbyterian, he had a guy with some character issues. He worked really hard with that guy on on character issues. It was the end of the fall season. They were getting ready for fall break. He had a meeting scheduled with the kid, right? And I'll never forget the first time I heard the story. He had a meeting scheduled with the kid to tell him, how great he had done and how proud of him he was. This is what he needed to do over fall break to come back and be in a good position, right? And this is not about the kid as a baseball player, but he saw the weather that day in South Carolina and it was going to be a great day to lay down sod. So he told the kid they'll meet as soon as he gets back from fall break. He went and laid the sod. He comes back the day after fall break. He's got a meeting with the kid. His, assist, his secretary comes into the office and tells him the kid ain't coming back from fall break. The kid passed away. Life. I'm sorry, this is real. And it's hard for people to talk about. And I understand that because it's been a stigma in, in, in our society for forever to talk about things like this, because these are things that are make you uncomfortable to talk about, but it's real and it's a problem. And to not give people the resources who can be a part of the solution. And yes, I am an advocate for expanding mental health resources for even the students who aren't afforded the opportunity to play on an athletic team for people like you, your freshman year at Delaware. I wish there were more resources for people like you. I'm not an expert in that. What I do know is I can make an impact as a, as a college coach and college coaches can make impact. I've had college coaches make serious impacts on my life. One of them was in my wedding. The other one is someone who I, I've thought of as a, as a second father and that's Skip who I worked under for four years. And I played under in college and then went and worked for him at a different school. Like those are impactful relationships. Those are two people who will be in, hopefully be in my life for the rest of my life who have helped me become who I am. None of it having to do with showing me how to throw a cutter or a strike or getting anyone out. Yep. None of it. Because at yeah, the end and- of the day, like that's like, and again, at the smaller, at the smaller institutions, that really doesn't matter. Sure. At the bigger schools, when you're talking Power Five, you get paid for wins and losses. So you have yeah. to focus on that a little bit more. And you can enjoy those wins because, one, you're going to keep your job. But, two, I used to enjoy some of the wins because of the success of my guys. When I knew we were struggling or I thought we were going to struggle with opponent because of a certain thing, and to see one of my guys 
overcome that or our team as a whole overcome something like that, it made me really happy. When I think of what some of those guys did on that last year, that regional team at Goldie, some of those guys who are older and have been there from the beginning and how they got their butt whooped for a good two, three years, to then see them experience and play at that high level of Division II baseball in the regional and compete, like that was I was that was awesome. That was exciting. That was incredible. Because those those dudes worked their tail off and went about it the right day and the right way. And that's valuable lessons that they'll have forever is that that moment of like, okay, I'm going to be selfless and for the betterment of the team. And the only way you win a championship is if you have a bunch of selfless people. And if you could teach 18 to 22 year olds to become selfless, we're going to, we just sent an on baseball program. We just sent 40 plus people off into the world who are going to be better and help our society. Cause and maybe a discussion for another day and not on this podcast, but we also have a societal problem on the whole. Just yeah. as people wake yeah. up. Definitely not. Definitely not our area of expertise there. Um, <laughs> not going out on a limb there, but you know, and, and I, I'm going to preface this by saying I have a lot of love for a lot of people in the baseball industry. Um, I would have never for sure gotten, gotten a start in coaching without people. I would have never gotten a job in coaching without people. And this comment pertains to the industry as a whole. It is not specific to people that I have known or been around. I have nothing but love for them. But, you know, you you mentioned a lot of things about how these people have an impact on you. And so much of my mind goes to, and maybe this is spiteful, I don't know, but is just the the priorities that are set by some coaches because you talk me and you could sit here and talk till we're blue in the face about how wins and losses don't matter, right? But so many people in the industry value those wins and losses so much more, right? And it's almost to the point where it would take a tragedy for somebody to wake up, right? Like sometimes I've I have felt that that way, whether it be people that I played for, people that I played with, people that I, you know, met out there, you know, on the trails and things like that is like, you don't even realize that, like, I always used to say that, like, the true character of a coach is what the 35th man on the roster says about him, right? Yep. The guy that really brings no value between the white lines in the batter's box on the pitcher's mound when you can pull that guy aside, like, if I was an athletic director and I was going to hire a head coach, I would go ask the if I was hiring a, a, an assistant coach as the 25th pitcher or the 17th hitter, what was what was your relationship right, like with him? How did he treat you on a day-to-day basis? Because so many guys, I'm sure, that are in that position feel ignored, feel like they don't matter, feel like they, they aren't important because they don't put a win in uh, uh, a number in the win column and they don't help that winning percentage and they don't – get the opportunity to to get the clutch base hit and all those things like that. And now again, this is like you said, at the power five level, you you get paid for wins, right? You get you keep your job for wins. You you get to put food on your table for wins. But one of the biggest lie in coaching that just because some some power five coach said it was is just the fact that like if I have to choose between my family and you guys, I'm picking my family every time. Bro, you're at small school America, that's what we're going to go with off the top of my head because I don't want, again, not trying to make this about Directional university. Yeah, directional university. As long as you don't have any scumbags on your team getting arrested or you don't freaking sleep with your secretary, you're keeping your job. Call it what it is. Correct. As long as your guys aren't failing and they're not misrepresenting the university out in the public, you're not getting fired. Nope. So that's just your excuse to get your ego involved. Correct. That's just your excuse to get pissed at a guy for not doing getting down the bunt or not executing this or not doing that, right? Like call it what it is, right? And I would respect people more if like if I was a head coach, right, at a small at directional university, right? And I had dreams, I had goals. And I raised my hand at the beginning of the fall practice and I said, "I'm going to get pissed at you guys." I'm going to yell. I'm going to scream because I want to coach division one baseball at the power five level. I think 45 guys would go. 
All right. Perspective. <laughs> yeah, I for sure. For okay. Sure. And and I would leave tomorrow for that job. Right. Be honest. Be vulnerable. Right. Put yourself in that position. Too many times we sit here and like, oh, this is my LSU. But it's not. Right. And it shouldn't be like for us, for the players. Right. For the guys that are playing. It should be the most important thing, right? right? Because I made memories at Marywood. Throw Marywood baseball into Google. Check our record. We weren't good. We weren't good. But I played every day. I had the time of my life. I met friends that I, like you said, that will be in my life forever. And that's what matters. So yes, that is no different than what Dylan Cruz is doing at LSU in terms of making memories, right? That doesn't make my experiences less important than his, right? Just because right. he's at LSU trying to win a national championship and be drafted first overall. Like everybody's experience is kind of built around that exactly right there is the memories, the experiences, the lessons, like you said, that are so important. But from a coaching standpoint is like you would take out – like don't act like you wouldn't take LSU's job if they called you and wanted you to be the head coach because I would have, right? You would have. Like don't sit there and say this is my pinnacle job because right. like it's not, right? And that's when it comes down to, again, ego, wins and losses. And we're all fueled by ego, right? I would say that you know what gets you out of the bed and gets you in the gym to get a nice pump. If we didn't have ego, we'd all be 350 pounds and nobody would have a job and we'd all be living on the street, right? right? Ego is what kind of fuels everything you do in life. It's your motivation. It's why you want, why you show up to practice with a good practice plan to kind of build that. Because again, what's, what's hanging over your shoulder, right? When you're, when you're a coach, right? Like what your guys do, those wins and losses, but you have to understand how to prioritize what's important and what's really important is the things you mentioned, developing young men into, you know, good and valuable members of society. When we walk away every year, hopefully we're putting eight to 10 seniors in the society that are making the world a better place. That's the ultimate goal. And if you build relationships and focus on the individual on a day-to-day basis, guess what starts to have a nice little tally every week that's bigger and bigger? the win column, right? Right. You're developing right. men through baseball, right? That's the epitome of being a college coach. And so many times we think we're developing baseball players through baseball. Yeah, it's but not a video they, game. It's not a, exactly. It's not a video game. This is not on uh, out of the park baseball on your computer where it's just a simulator. No, because when those guys hit 22 and you know, all their coach cared about was whether they went two for four, oh for four, made the play, made an error, struck the guy out, pitched six innings. When they get out in the real world and and baseball isn't there to be their safety net, well, that's a a very crappy moment for for any athlete is the realization that like, well, this sport was everything to me at directional university and now I'm working at at UPS just to use a a company off completely the top of my head. random company, a completely <laughs> random company. And nobody cares that I went two for four against, you know, Northern Michigan that we ancient history. It's ancient <clears throat> history and it doesn't matter. But when you really use the opportunity to help these, these men, these young adults grow into adults and learn how to handle adversity, you know, because what happened, I've been punched in the face. I feel like 40 times in the last month, Right. But I also got punched in the face a billion times playing baseball, playing sports, playing hockey. I I literally got punched in the face playing hockey. Like all those opportunities that you have growing up set the foundation for how you handle it in life. And if you don't take advantage of your platform and your opportunity to help these kids, you're only doing them a disservice. Well, and and this is my opinion, but why do you think we have more of those coaches who are fueled by W's and L's because that's what you get promoted by. That's not only that, but like, uh, how about the fact that a lot of the coaches who maybe that's not their mission are, are, are flaming out. Yeah. Cause when that's a part, when a part of your mission is the right things and the things we're talking about again, managing an organization, which is what you're doing. It's really tiresome when you're also trying to put a lot of your self-worth into that. 
because it, it, you get beat down. And again, you delay those conversations and things happen and it's tough. And, and to me, it's just so frustrating. I'll never forget. Like, I mean, I'm, I don't want to sit here and act like I knew what to do all the time. I'll never forget one of the best lessons that I got in my four years at Goldie is I remember my first year, we were 15 and 35. And we were getting towards the end of the season and, and we had just been getting drug everywhere we were going. And you're putting all this time into it. And I didn't know it was my first year coaching. I didn't know what, what was what. And I remember I asked Skip, I go, what do we do? Skip looked at me and goes, what do you mean? What do we do? I'm like, well, what do we do? Like, and he goes, keep coaching. Keep coaching them. And I remember it like that, like the light bulb went off in that moment. Cause obviously when I started off, I thought I was going to be, you know, Derek Johnson from, from year one. Right. Like it, it, you're naive. I was 23 years old and I thought like, this, oh, I, I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to walk into yeah. this program where I'm going to be the best pitching coach that's ever lived. We're going to win 40 games. We're going to be, you know, in a regional. Well, I wasn't the reality of things. And so I was like trying to navigate and learn how to, to do all these things and be an adult and, and, and be a leader for these guys. And he told me to keep coaching. So that's what I did. I really, really just I just kept coaching them. And the smallest details, I just continued to coach him on it. And then guess what? By the end of year four, we were pretty dang good. And let me cut in here too and kind of just say this piece as well is define coaching, right? What is coaching? Because so many people think coaching is, like you said, like how does your heel engage the rubber for as long as possible? No, coaching is building relationships. Right. Right. I always say this all the time, building trust, building relationships is now this is kind of particular to the division three fall, but I always felt like the first year at a division three school is always going to be tough. If, if you're doing things the right way, because it takes more than four weeks to build a relationship. If I walked into, I, I could know more about hitting than any little kid down the street at at Lillington sports batting cages and I walk in a cage and tell a kid he's doing something wrong and he knows nothing about me. He doesn't know the backside ground balls podcast. He doesn't know about what I know about anything. How, why is he going to listen to me? And actually quite frankly, he's going to be resume. He still wouldn't care. He still wouldn't care. Right. Right. He would be offended. You ever had somebody give you tips on the golf course that you don't know? It pisses you off. And I stink. Right. Right. So that is the whole point of when, when you say something as, as with the magnitude of keep coaching is like, it's not just as simple as just keep developing them. No, keep building relationships. Building relationships. Prioritizing the small things, like you said. Keep doing all those things that are so important because that's going to lay the foundation. It might not be the senior that clicks, but that's going to click for him when he gets into the real world. And that freshman's going to understand that you're just building a relationship. And that's what lays the foundation to him performing in year three and four in your program. Yeah, and, and that's exactly so. Back to that that first year, there was a there was a freshman on our staff who it was really hard. It was really hard to coach him when he was a freshman. When Skip told me to keep coaching them, I continued to do what you're saying. I continued to build a relationship with him. I continued to try to find common ground. I continued to try and guide him. I continued, and he made huge strides. He's not perfect, and that's fine. But he continued to make huge strides. He still texts me to this day. I don't work on the staff. I just got videos last week. Yeah. I just got videos last week because we have a relationship still. Mm-hmm. Because we still have a relationship. And he feels comfortable and confident enough to text me and know that I will get back to him. And I will always be rooting that kid on forever because I want to yeah. see him. be Not that I didn't when he was a freshman, but he was hard to coach when he was a freshman. He was 18 years old. He had every right to be tough to coach. Mm-hmm. And it was my job to help him. So that's what I did. You just continue to, and that relationship, and to me, like that's, and again, those are the things that I'm proud of. Sure, it's a nice pat on my back that guys still, you know, will reach out to me once in a while because like, no, it's not about the fact that I know things. Who cares? It's the fact that I had a relationship with that person. And they trust you. I was you. able to build a, right, I was able to build a relationship with them. That's what it's about. I was texting, you know, I, was, I, I got three good luck texts last night from former players of mine talking yep. about Georgia. Like, that's what it's, that's cool. That's yeah. really cool to me because that means that that kid trusted me because I have several coaches that I played for in my life that I don't talk to. I'll never I don't talk, talk to, to them at all. No, I mean, we and you played for an assistant coach in high school that like, I couldn't care less about what that person's doing with their life. Mm-mm. 
And he's the reason I know so much about hitting because he pissed me off so much because it was right. so, it, like right. But he never he fueled me never, to be something that I've literally correct. like. Yeah, he did it the he did it the wrong way, wrong and that way. and like in the end probably helped both of us because we ended up being passionate 100%. about this. But like he drove a lot of people away from our high school program. They couldn't stand mm-hmm. him. And I remember my senior year, we, we used to be like, just don't listen to him. Like you have to have a certain way about you to just block him out. And yeah. like, I, I don't care. I don't give anything. So like, great. He helped me become a little bit of a better baseball player to have well, a really insignificant college career. And I don't care about him. What did he get out of that? Yeah. Well, and even to a bigger point, I used to say this all the time. And and again, I, for some reason I have a very, I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty positive guy. I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, but when it comes to coaching, I'm very, I'm very hard because I have expectations that are the top of the line. Like I expect you to treat them like humans the athletes like humans over athletes like be a developer of men all these things like that because i know it's what you're capable of because i've seen serious position yeah it's a serious position to be and so many guys don't take that part of it as serious as they are but i always used to tell everybody like i've learned way more like you hear all these coaches talk about like who's your biggest influence who's your biggest influence who's your biggest influence that got you into coaching you want to know why i got into coaching because all the coaches I hated, right? And I learned so much from all the coaches I hated. And I literally, I had a list of, I'm never going to be like that guy. I'm yep. never going to be like that guy. I'm never going to be like that guy. And you wonder why I could walk into a situation and be 20. And it's not to pat myself on the back, 24 years old and mature enough to, to take that position seriously and to have guys come to you that have trust in more than just like, baseball and mental health and things like that like is because i literally prided myself on not being the 10 worst coaches i ever had right to not act like the 10 worst coaches i ever had and i always used to say you can learn something from every and this is life right this ain't just coaching but you can learn something from every everybody even if it's what not to do and that's how I right. learned. I learned, like right. I said, I learned so much about coaching, about leadership, just from people being idiots and being being like, God, that is just wrong. That is so wrong in so many ways. And it's just like, that is the magnitude of the opportunity. You, like people don't even realize when you're acting a fool as a coach and you're getting all pissed and you're foaming at the mouth because you, you lost game three of a, a series and whatever it is like, I mean, you could be making a positive influence, but there's also people that might look up to you. Right. I always say, I always used to say like, I mean, I still say it, but you become your parents if you don't forgive your parents, right? right. Because everybody talks about you become your parents, you become your parents. Well, if you don't see the flaws that your parents have and actually forgive them and learn from them, you will become your parents, right? And even to a certain extent, even if you acknowledge those flaws, you'll still pick up their tendencies because that's nature versus nurture, right? Like that is literally just human evolution. But if your dad is an a-hole, which my dad had a tendency to be, sorry, dad, you, you could have, you were an a-hole at times. If I didn't forgive him and understand that that was just who he is, like there's a good chance I could be an a-hole to really not even just my kids, but like in a coaching scenario, because that's it's it's all personal development. It's all overseeing people, leadership, management, coaching. It's all the same thing in the grand scheme of things. Your habits are your habits, and all of those things combined, like if you don't forgive your coaches and acknowledge that what they did was wrong, if you idolize this coach who was a fool and who was throwing fungos through the wall and whatever, you're going to be more likely to become that coach. And that's just an embarrassment to you and to that coach. So what people don't understand is how much of an influence you have on these these athletes and these people on a day-to-day basis because they could be working in finance as a manager of 20 people, but they're acting like their douchebag division three head coach because that's all they know in leadership. That's all they learned. They learn from that guy. They learn that's their influence. And they looked up to him because they liked him and because he liked them and he hit third and all those things. And he played shortstop and all those great things that are so nice when you're, when you're, you know, and, June 18 years old and in good shape, but then when you're 40 and out of shape and you become envious, spiteful leader, those habits start to come out. And that's the impact you have as a coach is that kind of platform that you're impacting these guys' lives for the next 20 to 40 years. Easy. Well, you know, we've said a lot and I guess, I guess my point in, in 
clearly we're both passionate about it. It's just that I'm trying to summarize it. It's just like there needs to be more resources. It really disappoints me to this day that there are some young coaches out there who are probably just getting into it, who are walking into this world like I did with so much hope and and excitement, who are just going to get it beaten out of them because resources aren't given. And, you know, and I could go into more details, they get uglier maybe down the road about some of the other things that, that go on and are happening that just crush me. And more resources can be afforded to it because if you hire the right people, you can be a part of the solution to something that I think is the bigger issue here. And I don't want this to get lost. The bigger issue here is that we have a mental health issue with young adults in our society. We have a mental health issue with student athletes. We need to stop acting like we don't. There are a lot of student athletes who have mental health issues. They do. I saw them. And I, at times, I used to kick myself because I didn't. I still sometimes think about situations that I could have done more. And I would I sometimes think like, well, man, if I was around there all day, every day, I wonder if I could have helped more. We need more resources because the way it looks from the outside now that I'm on the outside is it looks like when I see these job postings, it would be an honor for you to come work for us. BS. That's BS. Because if you're asking me if we put the right resources into this, it would be an honor for you to hire some of these people. That's how mm-hmm. it should be. It shouldn't be an honor for someone to come work for you to be a volunteer. You have the honor of being our volunteer assistant. So you're happy to eat Nutrigrain bars for a month out of the clubhouse that are left over. Give me a break. And it's so disheartening because, again, I had so much passion and excitement when I started out. It's what I wanted to do. It was what my heart was invested in. And it got beaten out of me a little bit, not because of the people I worked for, not even necessarily the situation that I was in from the the institution that I necessarily worked for. I loved Goldie Beacom. I loved everyone I worked with. But the fact that I was spread so thin. And the fact that I looked around and it was happening all over, it wasn't like this was just a unique, bad situation. Go somewhere else. It was the standard, which is like crazy to me. And I, I, it just, it kills me. And, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating to look back, to, to look at it from the outside now and think that why is no one banging on the drums about this? Why are we not talking about this? Because again, seriously, like there's a, mental health crisis in our country for young adults. And like you said, specifically in males, there's a mental health crisis and we're just sitting back thinking that like it's going to fix itself. It isn't. And I'm sorry to be so heavy on an episode of a podcast that we get on here to have fun about, but it was just like at some point got to say something. No. And, and quite frankly, like the where, my head goes to is probably a little bit heavier. So we're probably going to go a little bit deeper then, but I always used to think about it as I've had people, let's just put it this way. I've had people very, very close to me that have talked about suicide. Right. Right. We all know somebody who's been in that dark place. And as a coach, you don't know. I mean, statistically speaking, one of your 40 at least has had suicidal ideations, especially at the college age. Don't be the coach that neglects somebody to the point that you have to answer that phone call. I've prided myself on the fact that I want to be the guy somebody calls when they feel that way. I know for a fact that I'm a guy that somebody would call because I built that relationship with people through baseball, through work, through friendships. So many coaches would be shocked to learn that their athletes feel to the point of doing the most horrific and darkest act that you could imagine. And they would be blindsided when if they just paid more attention and institutionally gave the the school more resources to allow them to pay attention to would be able to actually identify these as realistic possibilities. Like it, it's always, it won't happen to us. This won't happen in our program. Everybody thinks they're invincible until that day comes where you have to be 
the one who answers that phone call, right? And I, I've, like I said, I've always prided myself. I'm, I never want to be the one who answers that phone call, right? Because that means I didn't. I, I would immediately find my fault in it, and where well, I could have went differently. And what's, what's even scarier is if you're in the position you're talking about, you then have to pick up the phone call and call parents. Yeah, and like, I, that's a dark road. Yeah. Again. To, to finish up, my last thought is people might not agree with us. People not might not like what we said tonight. I'm sorry. That's a you problem. Yeah. For, for those people, if there's – again, we have a very, very small platform. But if, there, if, that's a, if that's an issue for you, then that's a you problem because, it, I mean, look around. It's not hard to find this stuff. There's statistics all over. So – yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it's hard. It's hard to talk about, and and like I said, I, it's you know it's something that that like I said, I I don't get emotional over wins. I don't get emotional over stuff like that. There's there these are topics that get me emotional because it's real. It's like it's what really matters, right? <laughs> right, it's what actually matters. At the end of the day, and whether it would be the high of helping somebody or imagining the lows of, of not right. Like those are the, that's the emotional roller coaster I'm willing to ride as a college baseball coach. I was willing to ride as a college baseball coach, not, not the, you know, we finally knocked off our rival in a, in a series, but you know, I would, I don't want to end on that note. Um, I I do want to say that, you know, kind of looking forward for, for the podcast specifically. Um, you know, we're really excited for what, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to do moving forward. Um, you know, Dan and I have been talking a lot recently about what we envision for this podcast and we really just believe in, in, in the podcast and in the platform that we have and, and building it. And, you know, we want to be able to talk about topics like this. We are both very open and honest about baseball in general about our viewpoints you know these are conversations we've had on the phone before we're just taking it to a recorded platform and you know one of the things that we want to do is is get as much content out to everybody so you know we're working on getting out on social media as much as possible obviously we have the youtube page we're going to try to get some youtube shorts on try to get in a consistent routine here in the new year of 2023 obviously we're super excited super fired up to have colin with us whatever he brings is going to be a complete valuable asset to this podcast to our platform to what we have he's obviously got experiences that none of us could imagine to have so you know we're super fired up to have his perspective in the new year and when we get into the season being able to talk about the depths of of what goes on in a minor league season is going to be a great experience for you so you know make sure you're following on all the socials um you know we have instagram Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, obviously on all podcasts. Leave a five-star review. That's going to help grow the podcast, all those things like that. And obviously sharing with five friends. That's going to be huge for the growth of this podcast. Like I said, we're going to prioritize getting content out. Anything you guys can do from the end of whether it's submitted questions, sharing with friends, anything like that would just help us grow. But we're going to prioritize getting content out and hoping we can grow that way. So, but we're definitely very fired up for the loyal fan base that we have. Very excited to kick off this new year with with this podcast, planning to get out. Hopefully 52 episodes, fingers crossed, one a week. We're already one behind, so we got to make one up somewhere in the season. But 52 episodes this year, one a week, getting active on Twitter, getting active on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, everything like that. Dan, any closing thoughts today? Bring Maybe bring the mood up a little bit if you got anything positive for anybody. Go dogs. Go dogs. They're going for a three-peat in 2024. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. But until next time, we will see you guys next week.